Hello and welcome to Games Parlay, the show where we, myself and a group of guests, get together to roundtable discuss our favorite and not-so-favorite games, what we like, what we don't like, and everything in between, and give them our personal reviews. At this point, I would like to thank Eric Skiff for the intro and outro music. You can find him via SoundCloud, and we hope you enjoy this episode of Games Parlay. The Legend of Zelda is a name that stirs the hearts of many. Millions of rupees collected, thousands of dungeons explored, and hundreds of Hyrule saved from the evil clutches of Ganon. The Triforce has lit the way for years, since 1986 to be exact, and has guided our hero of time to saving the world, well, time and time again. We've seen Link and the rest of the cast portrayed in many different ways since then, including 2D, 3D, across consoles, and even on TV. Some are better than others, and others are up for debate. That is what we're going to talk about today in this installment of Games Parlay. Specifically, though, Breath of the Wild. As the most recent installment of the Zelda franchise, it received massive success and is regarded by many as the best in the series. Today, our guests have some interesting opinions in this game, so let's jump right in it. All right, and here are our guests for today. How about, uh, Matt, you want to introduce yourself first? My name is Matt Haichu. My favorite Zelda game is Breath of the Wild, and it was also my first Zelda game that I've ever played. And uh, I'm Luke Evans. Uh, my first Zelda game was the first one on the Nintendo Entertainment System, and the, uh, I think my favorite one's still got to be Ocarina of Time. All right, and once again, I'm your host, Billy Hatfield. The first Zelda game I ever played was also the original Legend of Zelda, except mine was the Game Boy port, specifically. And my favorite Zelda game has to be Twilight Princess. So, let's hop into this. Uh, you can already tell from those of us that are here, we kind of have a different... We all have a different favorite. Um, but let's talk about, starting off, what makes a Zelda game a Zelda game? Um, and I think this will kind of start to guide our conversation into Breath of the Wild specifically. Well, uh, I think in particular, like what makes a Zelda game is like, it's kind of like on the nose, but like it really does have to be like, it has to star either Link or Zelda. Mm-hmm. The, the titular like, cast, like it's got to have a Link, mm-hmm. a Zelda. Like I was going to say Link, Zelda and Ganon, but there actually have been a few games that departed away from having Ganon as the main antagonist and those are still really good games. So that's just kind of an on the nose thing. It's not doesn't really add a whole lot, but like my first thought is like, well, I haven't really seen a good Zelda game that didn't have Link or Zelda as like the main story character, whether you play to them plays them or not. Yeah. Uh, I think just as someone kind of new to the series it's um the biggest thing seems to be a sense of adventure is I think one of the things that makes a Zelda game a Zelda game. Interesting. And um you know, and that's what the director said when he was creating the series was the original um game was built around the idea of just exploring and, you know, you bomb walls that look suspicious, you go into dungeons and see what you can find. And for me, that's always what a Zelda game has been is that sense of adventure um in the 3d titles they you know really work in a major plot um but really for me it's just you know i like to walk around the world and see what i can find mm-hmm. so let's talk with specifically breath of the wild how does breath of the wild uh really hammer in 
some of the Zelda tropes that we know and love? Or does it, you know? I think one of the more interesting ones uh, that I've noticed is that having played so many Zelda games, it becomes such standard fare to be like, okay, this dungeon, you get this item, you use it throughout the dungeon, it'll unlock a couple things out in the open world, you might use it in a couple dungeons, but otherwise it's that's going to be pretty much it. It's kind of used for that dungeon in pretty creative ways, and then after that, it's more or less like left alone. Like Twilight Princess, I think, was the worst about that, where like an item oh, is yeah. really only used for that dungeon. I mean, they give you two of the same item, like the 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 hook shots. Yeah, you go you to another dungeon and the long shot. Well, no, the the or second the, one. Yeah, the you get a yeah, second hook shot. hook shot. Oh my gosh! You're and it's right. like it's kind of cool to like now be able to hook onto another platform after you've already hooked onto one. But it was it felt like okay, did you really have to like first give us one and then give us two? Just give us two. You know. It, anyway, that's that's a minor point. Just that. Like those kind of like those items were used in those dungeons and they're kind of forgotten. Breath of the Wild like completely shifted on its head where it's like here, here's five ish tools. I think it's like four or five tools, and uh, you get them within like the first hour. And then every dungeon you go into just uses those four or five tools. And instead Sometimes, of it being like it's not even using all of them all the time either. No, yeah, it's just like you have them all. Now you figure out which ones to use. It's not like, okay, I got the bomb in this dungeon. I'm now going to know all the puzzles deal with the bomb. It's like, no, the puzzle can deal with any of the tools you have. Which one are you going to use? Yeah, and that's... um, So that actually brings in right to my point, was there are a lot of people who would say that that is very un-Zelda-like. Whereas I look at it, and I, you know, if you've... You know, Luke, you know, we played the original Mm -hmm. Legend of Zelda... And you might get an item in one dungeon that you won't use until the fifth dungeon. Or yeah, that's um, actually very true. There are some items that you don't technically need <laughs> to beat the game. Um, You're right. There's a couple again, kind of being on the nose. There's a couple that you have to have, like the bow and arrow and bombs and those sorts of things. The, like, the ladder. I think the ladder. The ladder, ladder and the raft. Um, but, like, you might get them in Dungeon 2, and then it'll take you to Dungeon 6. Like, that's one of the most, like, confusing parts of playing that game as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Well, and you can do Dungeons out of order. Right, that too. Um, and Breath of the Wild does a really great job of pulling it back to that in a modern state. Um, mm-hmm. So, while we're on the topic, let's talk about the dungeons in Breath of the Wild. This is probably the biggest point of contention when people uh, are talking about Breath of the Wild, because when we think of a Zelda dungeon, even the first Zelda game, like, those dungeons are pretty expansive for the time, Um, you know, and they're long, and some of them are, you know, the dreaded water temple is tedious. Uh, Let's talk about our thoughts (laughs) about uh, Breath of the Wild's dungeons. Matt, I'd be interested to hear what you think on it, because as someone who doesn't hasn't played a lot of the other games to kind of know what other dungeon, the way the old dungeon layer used to be, I'd be curious to see what you thought of them. Yeah, so I would say the shrines, for the most part, were really, really good. I thought it was really cool just how many that there were. I love being able to find all the different shrines, and I love being able to explore all the new places and use the those tools on the Sheikah Slate in different ways. I kind of got bored of the design after a little bit, though. It all just kind of looks the same all the time. So every single shrine has the same exact color palette. 
and it's cool the first few times, but then it kind of just gets stale, and you kind of just forget it's even there. Yeah. Well, and, uh, kind of, sorry, you go ahead. No, go ahead. Nope, go ahead. I was gonna say kind of the same thing for the divine beasts as well. Um, I would have liked it a little bit more if each of the divine beasts had a bit of a bit more character to them. Mm-hmm. So, the, all four of them are really uniform and they're really cohesive, which mm-hmm. could be good. But I think I would have liked it more if each divine beast had a bit more um, style to it. Yeah. I heard that like the reason that all the shrines at least were all the same, um, which kind of translated into why the uh, divine beasts were all like stylistically the same, what had to do not only with like keeping with that, you know, ancient technology theme, but like it was so they could have like multiple developers work on dungeons without having to sense. like consult each other. So it was like, okay, you, this group will work on a few and this work group will work on a few. And they didn't have to like, correlate as much between like okay well what assets can we use what can't we use what's used that kind of thing they just had like a, a stock thing to use that was because they had like i think in the end it's like what 140 120 something like that yeah some it's crazy it's like it's however many it's it's by divided by four it's however many heart pieces you can get in the game or something like that it's it basically translates to heart pieces and stamina wheels because they're just mm-hmm. trying to divvy that out um right. yeah but yeah like as someone who really likes uh, Castle in the Sky, that old Ghibli movie, yeah. which is stylistically, like artistically, hugely um, influential for this game, uh, I loved the old ancient, the idea of like an old ancient technology, an old ancient civilization that was way more advanced that somehow disappeared for unknown reasons or whatever. And even me, like really loving that style, I got very sick of like all four divine beasts are the exact same except one's got water shooting out of it in places, and one of them's got lava pools. Except yep. not like one's even tinted red and one's tinted green. It's like, nope, they all look exactly the same. Yeah, and that's... Like... Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I feel like that was wasted potential. Like, even if you had done four or five archetypes, and you had multiple of those archetypes, like there was one that was kind of foresty, one that was kind of rocky, one was kind of uh, sandy, whatever. You know, had mm-hmm. archetypes of them, and had multiple of those archetypes, that would have been way more interesting than no all 120 plus shrines in the four divine beasts all look identical regardless of which one you're in yeah and i was you know i was thinking um because i was kind of curious how this conversation would go um regarding the dungeons because a lot of people are were kind of worried about the number of them uh let's removing the shrines from this equation let's talking just the divine beasts and ganon's castle um Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of people who are like, well, there's not that many. And I go back to, well, Majora's Mask didn't have that many. And it Mm -hmm. also literally used the same assets as Ocarina of Time. Yet Majora's Mask is still regarded as one of the the greats in the series. Um, Mm -hmm. Usually pit up against Ocarina of Time. Um, And what's interesting is, you know, the Divine Beasts have a lot of backtracking. And it's because they're so small. Yeah. Which is a cool gimmick. Like, maybe if one of the Divine Beasts have been that way. Um, but even in Majora's Mask, we had dungeons that were fully fleshed out that used used the, you know, the mask of the area and, um, uh, you know, the items that you can get in that dungeon, you mm-hmm. know, your typical Zelda formula. Um, but... Well, what are yeah, your go thoughts, ahead. I'm sorry. What are your thoughts on... Um, 
Because not, it's not that so much the Divine Beasts are really that bad of dungeon design. Um, mm-hmm. I think no. it's actually quite interesting, but um, none of them really took that long to, to complete. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm one of those people that will, I like to like 100%. <laughs> Uh, yeah. <laughs> if there's a vis- visible treasure chest, I am going to get it. Um, I've watched you play Octopath Traveler. I know yeah, this. I know this phenomenon. Yeah. Um, I'm not a completionist until I see a treasure chest on the screen. Um, <laughs> so let let's talk about that a little bit. And um, Luke, let's. I'm curious with you because again, you've played all the 3D Zeldas. How how mm-hmm. would you compare the Divine Beasts versus the standard dungeon formula that we know? So. It's kind of funny that you brought up Breath, uh, uh, Majora's Mask gun comparing it. Like, oh, there's only four dungeons. And like I have heard that argument as well. It's like, well, Majora's Mask only had a few dungeons, and it was still great. Um, Majora's Mask technically only had four dungeons. But game mechanic, like, uh, mechanically, it had eight. Because mm-hmm. every single dungeon, you know, there was, so there's, that, there's that three-day mechanic where you basically have three days to do this thing. Um, and before you can do almost every single dungeon, there requires a two, if not full three day activity or set of activities that you have to do to prep the opening of said dungeon. And so while it wasn't a dungeon per se, it was still like this big puzzle adventure, like with uh, the Roman on having to do all this stuff that you had to wait till the second day. And only if you had the horse and to do the horse, you had to do this. And it was this huge ordeal, even just to get into the Romani ranch. Yeah. And then once you did it, then you got the horse, and then that was what allowed you to then get into. Uh, sorry, I misspoke about getting the horse into Romani. It was how you got Epona back, um, and that was how you got into uh, Termina Bay. Because before then, there was no way to get into Termina Bay, so it required basically a dungeon's worth of exploration and progression to get there. Whereas uh, Breath of the Wild, um, they do kind of have that with like the tasks and chores, or whatever that they have you do with the. Uh, the like leader of said town or uh, habitat habitat before you can get into it. But in both cases, they're just so short. Like the, what I consider like the main quest, like the, on all the four locations, all those quests, I think took like at most two hours for me to like get to there and then beat the divine beast. It was like maybe two hours. Whereas with like Majora's mask, Ocarina of time, all of those, like the dungeon itself was two, if not two and a half hours. Man, like it a first time playthrough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, like and that's first time playthrough. Yeah, it was something like your mom would yell at you in the middle of the dungeon and you'd be like, Mom, you have to wait. Otherwise I have to start no. over. <laughs> you don't understand. There's a key in there. I'm trying to avoid the master hand. Yeah. Just let me get through here. I'll come down in a second. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But like I think it's a question over like quantity over quality. Like mm-hmm. they kind of, in, I think it was intentional that they've done quality for so long that they're like, why don't we just try littering the map with them? Cause I think as individually the, cause I, I do want to say it like the shrines do kind of add up to the round number of dungeons because there really wasn't that kind of mechanic in other Zelda games. Right. But it's basically like all the pu- individual puzzles of a full dungeon spread out over a map or like two or three dungeons or whatever, however you want to yeah. divide it out. And it's just like, it's still a full dungeon. It's just that it's spread over an entire map. So like, if you're just looking at the divine beasts on them on their own, I really don't think they're that impressive. I think it's more that like, as a whole, the whole experience is about on par, Mm -hmm. but like 
individually, the Divine Beasts are pretty, honestly, kind of meh. At least on their own. Yeah. Matt, do you have anything you want to chime in about the Divine Beasts? Being this your first Zelda game experience, um, with none of the rose-colored glasses that Luke and I have. Right. Um, (laughs) I do agree that a lot of the dungeons are really short. Um, but I think it's also kind of interesting how in different parts of the map, some of the shrines are kind of themed together. So I remember specifically in like the desert region, there's a lot of shrines that use that um, electricity mechanic where you have to get that green electricity throughout the dungeon in order to get mm. to the end, in order to like train you for the um, divine beast there. That's I thought true. that was really cool. And so I think in sometimes some of those like group shrines can kind of add up to their own like quasi dungeon type thing. But yeah. those mm. aren't super common either. So I think it was a cool idea to go for the quantity of shrines that they have. Because I think that kind of pushes the idea in the game of kind of running all around and trying to find as much stuff as you can. Mm-hmm. And so when I was first playing, when I saw the orange light in the distance, oh, I got super pumped. I was like, yeah, yeah another shrine. Let's go get it. it. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. No matter what I'm doing at the time, like, oh, I see that orange light. I'm going to go towards it. It I- is a good beacon for like, okay, I know what I'm doing next. I see a shrine. Yeah. Exactly. I constantly ran out of uh, the personal beacons, like, all the time. Yeah. Like, I'd run out, and I'm like, oh, no, I gotta go do one before I lose it so I can ping this one. <laughs> so, like, I unping one to one that's close, put it on the one I just saw, and I run to that other one. My issue was then, after a while, I would, like, forget what that first one was used for, and I have to go <laughs> all the way back and try to, like, figure out why I put that there. Yeah. Um. So, I kind of want to... That, that reminds me... Um. Let's talk about the open-worldness of Breath of the Wild, which is honestly one of its stronger points. Um, oh, yeah. And it's something that, you know, I, I, like, I'm trying to avoid this episode being a, let's, com- like, let's just bring up, all, talk about all of the Zelda games, but it, really part of this discussion is comparing it. And the mm-hmm. one that's most comparable to this one's open world is The Legend of Zelda Wind Waker. I knew um, you were going to say that. Well, I mean, it's because it's true. Um, yeah, no, it is. It, it is it's, true. It's akin to Wind Waker on the 3D scale, but it's akin to the games like Link to the Past and the original Legend of Zelda on the 2D scale. Um, so let, let's talk about that. Um, a lot of open world games have the fear of being too empty. Let's start with that. How full is Breath of the Wild's open world? Hmm. I think, honestly... And I mean this like this is exactly how I want it to be. It is not as full as some other games I've seen. Mm-hmm. That so like a game like because I was actually playing Assassin's Creed Odyssey not too long ago. Um, because I it's more of an RPG this time, so it was a bit more catered to my tastes, and so I was going to give it a shot. And I was noticing that just, like how almost swamped with stuff to do it was, and how it was almost daunting. And I was kind of it actually was kind of comparing to Breath of the Wild how like. There's always one or two things you can do in any location on the map. Wherever you are, if you look around and do a 360 turnaround, you can find one or two things right away. And there might be a couple things that might be hidden, but it's never, like, overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And yet, so it's like, I don't think it's the fullest I've seen, and yet I think it's about the perfect amount. Where it's like, I still feel like I'm in kind of like a deserted area. Like, it's supposed to feel sort of like abandoned, you know, 
right. because of the apocalypse almost events. And so it still feels like that while like also having things for me to see and go do and always having a like a having having a destination in mind. Whereas like like I said with Assassin's Creed Odyssey, I was just swamped. I felt like there was like there's so many little little things to do on my map at any time that my compass just it, it was it was a nightmare trying to distinguish stuff. I feel like it's like that perfect balance of like there is open space to kind of like give it depth while still also having enough for you to always do. Mm-hmm. I com- I completely agree. Um, I think the idea of it being a little bit less full than other games is completely intentional because you are supposed to be out in the wild, hence the title, mm-hmm. and you're supposed to be in nature. And when you're outside, there isn't constantly things for you to do and look at. You have to kind of just kind of be in nature and see what's around you. Um, so I think it's, the idea of it being not super full all the time is intentional, but then you see things that are really important frequently. And so you know where to navigate based off of other locations, which I think is oh, an yeah. important part of that overworld too. Well, like it's, it's a tone, like you said, it's intentional. It's, it's a, it feels like it's a, a tone really thing. good tone element to yeah. be like, mm-hmm. there needs to be, quiet like breath of the wild out of all of them is the most somber like even twilight princess which was kind of like a more like darker take on the story and uh, elements of zelda like this one was way more somber and kind of dark in its own right like dark in terms of undertone less than like blatant in your face i guess but like it's a very somber game i think that like having those empty spots really help with that like especially like hyrule field where there's yeah. just those uh, guardians kind of everywhere. walking around. But mm-hmm. you see them so far in the distance, but you see like two or three just walking around. And they're far away from you, but like you can't help but always be looking over your shoulder as you go through there because you're like, they're there. I can see fast. them. How <laughs> yeah. far away do I have to be? And it's it's little stuff like that where it's like, it's not really anything immediate, but it's 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 good tone. It's a good tone they had. Yeah, and... <laughs> I, I really like that because, you know, when you compare it to, say, Wind Waker, you know, you're just on a boat and you can't do anything. Like, there's nothing to do while you're sailing. Um, it still has the effect of, ooh, shiny, there's a new island to explore. Um, but can I, can, I be, can I be real about Wind Waker, though? Yes. Just real for a moment? Yes. <laughs> I know it's everyone's favorite game, and I don't want to, like, diss on anyone's, like, absolute favorite thing. But it seriously has my absolute hated open world oh it's my least favorite of the 3d i hate like the idea we're being real i (laughs) I truly rank skyward sword above wind waker um that's a conversation for another day but oh geez (laughs) (laughs) but um before everyone hates me too much back to breath of the wild (laughs) it's sorry no i like and that's it's a great talking point of you know, Wind Waker is very empty with not a lot to do, whereas Breath of the Wild just feels empty, uh, but mm-hmm. there's so much to do. Um, and I think a lot of it's hidden trying. too, like yeah. Korok seeds, particularly. Like, oh yeah, yeah, dig for some of those guys, but they're everywhere. There's like three or four. It seems every time you look at the screen, you can see like a spot for a few of them all the time. I think there was an element of them trying to do what they did in Breath of the Wild in Wind Waker, where they were, because knowing the story of Wind Waker, they are going for that sort of, like, things didn't turn out well, and it's kind of morose. Mm -hmm. But I don't, it did not pull it off well. 
because even when they because like if you basically have to remake the game when you read the, when they remastered the game their solution was okay we're just gonna half the time that you're in the ocean yeah and it's still a problem because you're still waiting like five minutes oh, of yeah. just nothing going on between you can do the next thing that's essentially a five minute loading screen yeah i i would go get a snack in between well because i don't islands. it's not even like it's not even like oh i don't need to like do that much it's like no i can put I can rubber band my controller forward, mm-hmm. point in that direction, and I can go leave for five minutes. I don't need to touch it. Yeah. Uh, anyway, sorry. So, Not to diss on Breath of Wind Waker. It's a great game. No, I just I, I hate the open world sailing. So one of my favorite things about Breath of the Wild is actually it kind of cuts away a lot of the BS of other Zelda games. Like it like one of my favorite Zelda games, uh aside from Twilight Princess is uh Legend of Zelda, a link between worlds. Um, oh yeah, uses the same map as uh, Link to the Past. Uh, but one mm-hmm. of my least favorite things is I never found the need to go through any of the like the challenge dungeons because I knew it was going to be rupees. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't care. I don't need five hundred rupees. I want things. Um, but that's just not how those games are built uh, unless they're randomized. Uh, one of the things I love about Breath of the Wild is that if I go into a shrine, I know what I'm getting out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm curious what your guys' thoughts are on that predictability of if I go in, if I make the decision to go into this shrine, I know what I'm getting out of it. Is that good, bad? You know, uh, what are your thoughts on it? It's definitely a good thing, but it's because of how good the reward is. Like, right. the problem with picking up those rupees at the end of a, a challenge dungeon was that the rupees were used for almost nothing important. They were used for like renting equipment and like potions, which is what every Zelda is basically used rupees for. Whereas in Breath of the Wild, it's like, no, this is essentially a heart piece. This is how you upgrade your character. I mean, Zelda's not really a breath is uh, isn't really an RPG, like not in the strictest sense, but it does have a ton of those RPG elements, and one of them is the character progression. Your character gets stronger, and not just by like equipping new stuff, but actually like becoming stronger. And those spirit orbs that you get at every shrine gets you one step closer to becoming stronger. So it's like, you always want to do that because your character has to get stronger, and it lasts longer than you know, that gigantic iron sword that breaks in three hits. (laughs) It can take a guy out in three hits, but then, you know, then you're left without it, you're just weak. Whereas the hearts and uh, stamina wheel, they stay with you, despite what you have equipped, and so it really is the true way to progress. And I think the fact that those at the end of the dungeons definitely warrants their uh, warrants their excitability and like, yes, I want to get through this regardless of predictability because it's always worth it. It's something you mm-hmm. always want. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, what was I going to say? This just made me think of when I first played through Breath of the Wild. Um, I would always put my spirit orbs into my stamina wheel because I was really bad at climbing. And so every time I tried to climb something, I would inevitably die. And so when I <laughs> when I picked it up again recently to kind of prepare for, for this podcast, I tried putting orbs into hearts this time instead. And I think it went even worse because then <laughs> I would die even more. So that's, that's what's interesting. <laughs> because I got better at the fighting part, so I didn't lose hearts nearly as often. Yeah. But I still, <laughs> I still wanted to climb everything, and so I still tried. 
So and that, it didn't go. That's super interesting to me because when I played the game, I dumped all of my spirit orbs into hearts because I knew, um, and I guess spoiler alert for this two-year-old game, um, <laughs> but like because I played the original Zelda games, I knew that I was going to need about 13 hearts. Uh, and actually, you need 13 hearts exactly in Breath of the Wild. I was like, because in the original Legend of Zelda, it's anywhere from 12 to 14 mm-hmm. uh, to equip the Master Sword, or the Magical Sword, it was called at the time. Um, so I every shrine I saw, I went there, and every time I got four, I went back and I upgraded to get another heart container because I knew I was going to need 13 to get the Master Sword. Um, <laughs> See, I didn't know that, and so when I finally found the Master Sword, it took me forever to get it. Because I Did had you ever like kill yourself. Oh Did heck you, yeah, like, a couple times. Because well, what's funny is that he he warns you the first time. He won't let you kill yourself the first time. He'll stop you. Mm-hmm. So, did you did you be like screw it? I'm gonna try it again and then die. I did it immediately after to see. What <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I made a second. Nah, he was lying. I got it this time. Don't worry. I'm tougher than I look. It's so- a try. One of you put it all in hearts, and one of you put all in stamina. Because no joke. I did an exact even match where the first one upgrade would be a heart, and then the next one would be stamina, heart, stamina, heart, stamina. I would alternate yeah. it every other time. Well, so, it did help like, because the Divine Beast always gave you a heart at the end, so that did help yeah, me quite a bit. Well, and so that's, that's going to kind of tie into the next thing I wanted to talk about. Um, but I love how Breath of the Wild is such a player-driven experience. Like, you can do any route. You can do it any way you would like to do. Like, I, mm-hmm. um, you know, my goal was, I never had issues with the climbing. I always found little nooks and crannies I could stand and wait for my stamina to get back and start climbing again. Oh, yeah. Um, so I never needed the hearts, whereas, you know, it was, or the stamina wheel. Like, I don't think I touched the stamina wheel until I had 13 hearts. Um, and it was something That's that... That's dedication. Yeah, and it was something that mm-hmm. um, I remember, so Matt and I, whenever I, he let me borrow the game, and that's how I played it. Um, mm-hmm. but the, the deal was that I had to text him and his wife, uh, like live updates of me playing the game. <laughs> yep. And one of my, I favorite, wanted to hear about it. One of my favorite memories, uh, from that was when I made the decision that the first divine beast I was going to go to was in Gerudo Valley. <laughs> um, not knowing that most people go to the Zoras first. Right. Um, so I, I'm kind of curious about your guys's, uh, before I finish off with like, what I thought about my route. I'm curious about your guys' routes and what you've thought about it. I, I'm curious to hear, because you can really craft your own story uh, this way. Uh, so let, let's talk about our routes of play a little bit. That's a good so, one. So you you want to go first? Yeah, so, you know what's funny is uh, I put, I think, I'd have to I'd have to make a guess, because I've got about like 50 hours on the Switch and I originally had it on the Wii U, and that was like another like 60 or 70 hours. Um, I have yet to beat the game after 110 hours of playing it. <laughs> so I'm so distracted by all the cool things. <laughs> so I basically would be like, okay, finish one dungeon. Great. Here's my destination. To, oh, wait, what's that? Yep. <laughs> like, and I, so I basically never got around to beating all of them. As of now, I've done three of the dungeons in my two separate playthroughs. Like, my current Switch one, I've done the uh, Goron and uh, Zora, but I haven't done the Gerudo or the Ruto. Whereas in my first one, I did the Zora and uh, Gerudo, and I hadn't done the Goron or Ruto. So the only one I haven't fully gone through is Ruto. 
Um, Which ultimately then gives me the like, best uh, spirit ability in the game. I know. <laughs> yeah. I saw that. I saw that online and stuff. I was like, "Geez, what am I doing, wasting my time over here?" Like Daruk's protection is kind of meh. Yeah. Like Mifa's like here. Here's a free revive, but like Daruk's is kind of like. Okay, I, I could I could go without this just fine. Yeah, three really good blocks. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> just, here, don't take her ability on these three blocks. That's there you go. Yeah. <laughs> That's your reward for this. <laughs> I got to keep this wood shield like five seconds longer. Yeah. <laughs> but so yeah, so I've actually done two different routes. Both of them I would did Sora first just because it was closest. But yeah, and the other two I did the second time I did Goron right after because I hadn't done Goron and it was relatively close. And then I'm doing uh, Gerudo and then I'm going to do Rudo. So I guess in every time I kind of plan for Rudo to be last. Well, I think it's the farthest away. I think that's why that happens. I guess, but that was, I guess that was just kind of like my thought was just like, I'm just, I don't know, kind of ended up being the last one I did. I mean, without like when you're going into the playthrough blind, you don't really know what you're going to get. You know, Mm-mm. I I managed to st- I stayed away. I made like you know the Zelda franchise was pretty good about not spoiling important things um, about the game. And I've avoided the like ending, even though I kind of figure what it's going to be. It's not like it's a huge thing to get it spoiled for me, but like I just haven't been looking it up as all. Right, and it's not like being presented like some of the other media's. Um, Matt, I'm curious what was I? Uh, what was your route? Let's see here. So I did Zora first, and then Goron, and then. Rido and then Gerudo. Awesome. So you did the Gerudo last. Yes. Okay. Interesting. Because that was my second. That was the second one I did on my first playthrough. Well, if I'm picturing it right, I kind of went like counterclockwise around the map. So that was my. Yeah. Process. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Okay. So when I when I played, I was like, well, which one's the closest from the island, uh, from the center? Um, I can't remember what it's called anymore. I flew there all the time. Uh, uh, the plateau. <laughs> yeah, that is the plateau. plateau. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so when I looked at the map, I was like, "Well, it looks like Gerudo is the closest." So I went there first. Um, and I gotta say, what's super cool is, you know, most of you know, I find that a lot of people do Rudo and Rudo and Gerudo last. Um, but it's funny because, like, when I because I got Gerudo. That ability works so well on the different blight cannons. Yeah. That like Oh yeah. The dungeons were absolutely nothing for me. Like I I beat that game in a week. Like I I mean like I didn't put it down for a week. It was like post finals week. So like I picked it up, I went through, I went uh Gerudo, Zora, Goron, Rudo. And mm-hmm. then by the time I Finished the dungeon in Rudo. I had 13 hearts. I went and got the Master Sword. I went and fought Ganon and won. And then I went and got the memories and then fought Ganon again. And that's how I did my playthrough of the game. Interesting. Oh, okay. So you actually... That's interesting. So you did the memories after beating Ganon once. So you basically saw... Because I know there's a couple different endings or more than that based off the memory. So you actually saw both to do that. Yeah, well, like I got there and was morbidly curious how well I would do. Um, and in, like, the second or third try, I ended up beating him. Um, well, he's not hard once you get all the Divine Beasts, you know? Right. Um. It's kind of why you do it, is because it just makes it quite easier. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and, like, you get all the cool story bits, you know, all the backstory. Um. Yeah, you know, the story. Yeah, you know, know, the thing you play. (laughs) 
you know, part of the reason we play Zelda games. Well, yeah, I can say that's it is a minor part to some people, so I shouldn't really say that. Yeah, well, and so what? One of the things that I love that's come out of Breath of the Wild is the speedrunning community is absolutely hilarious. It's so funny. Um, I haven't seen like speedrun stuff, but I've seen like the crazy like tricks. Like you know how GTA Five always invited those where people would basically <laughs> yes. do like full map it's flips, same kind of thing. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. I've seen people do like they'll like tap a rock after like doing all this crazy stuff to it in a certain direction, and then suddenly they're like doing this crazy flip that like takes them across the entire map, and it's yeah. like, what yeah. the heck? One, one of my favorites... my favorite thing to see. Oh, go ahead. oh, you go ahead, Billy. Well, one of my favorites. There's a video I saw of a guy who sped around that game in like 45 minutes. So someone mm-hmm. did like an animated five minute version. Um, oh yeah, you showed just, me. It just, just cuts down on like the travel in between, but it's the funniest thing because like. It's like Link wakes up from his hundred years slumber, and then he just wakes up, grabs a couple <laughs> things, and just beats the crap out of Ganon. Like, <laughs> it's amazing. My favorite thing is when someone will put stasis on a tree and then hit it and then like ride it off into the sunset. That's oh the yeah! <laughs> all I can think of is SpongeBob when he rides the boulder. Like, that's <laughs> all it's I can think of. It's miles. Rails. It's so funny. Um. So I kind of want to hit on a couple other um, little things. Uh, I say little things, but they really are kind of what make a Zelda game a Zelda game, too. Let's take a minute to just appreciate the Breath of the Wild soundtrack. Yes, it's so good. Like, and it, it kind of, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier in that tone of mm-hmm. the game. It's, most of the time, it's just solo piano. And it really makes the empty wanderings of Breath of the Wild just feel kind of right. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. What are your What else are your guys' thoughts on it? Well, what are your guys' favorite like songs from the game? Let's go there. Mine is when you're on horseback, but it's not just when you're on horseback. It's when you actually uh, when you're trotting and not galloping, because if you slow hmm. down, the music changes beat and tempo. Or not tempo, but like uh, uh, instrumentation. The uh, ornament uh, instrumentation of it changes, and like different parts of it come in and out. And so, my favorite is actually like kind of like allowing your horse to slow down just enough, so you're just kind of like walking or trotting along, and it actually changes the music differently. And that's weirdly enough, that's like my favorite song. It's just the kind of little like it sounds like raindrops. It's like the piano sounds like little raindrops as it's uh, as you're trotting around. It's incredibly really peaceful. Cool. My favorite is the Rito Village theme. I'm a clarinetist, so oh. of course, <laughs> the, the clarinet song is my favorite. Uh, I'm kind of a sucker uh, for things that are like plot-driven, and it's a lot of like the memory music, just the really subtle um, strings and piano that plays like, mm-hmm. uh, whenever there's a flashback with Zelda and it's really sad, or even just like the opening... Like you step outside for the very first time, and you get the aerial view and the you know the really nice piano. The Breath of the Wild mm-hmm. theme plays. Like I still get chills just like thinking about that aerial view. Um, it, it's got one of the most like Breath of the Wild has one of the best like atmosphere, uh, mm-hmm. atmospheric like sound design. Um, totally. And I'm just so into it, and I hope. I'm so excited for Breath of the Wild 2, and I hope a lot of those oh, things kind of stay the ready. same. <laughs> You've got like three years, probably. 
Not I even that. Like, I'm not emotionally. I'm oh, not emotionally okay. ready, enough. dude. Yeah, fair enough. Jeez, do you know how much <laughs> of a it was ready. on me when the first game came out? Like, yeah, right. I'm not ready to experience that again. <laughs> oh, I, I just want to say that I was texting Billy right before E3, and I said I'm calling. We're going to announce Breath of the Wild two at E3, and he made fun of me for days. So he I was like, was like so dumb. No one would ever do that. I was like, there's no way, because like, well, typically. They just wait till the next console comes out. The last time a game, a Zelda game, came out in the same engine was Majora's Mask, and we're talking like well, yeah. ninety-eight. Like key keynote there is though is a like same engine. Yeah, because they've got their they basically got their handheld team on top of their console team. That's the way I've yeah. always looked at it. Yeah, where like they they'll have like intermediary games that do well, not great, but well, and they're the the. Not really spin-offs, but like a link to link between worlds. The Triforce Heroes. Yeah, all of those. And they're good games. Um but the ones that are like the real kicker, the real sellers are the console ones, and those are the ones that are like one a generation and it kills me. Like mm-hmm. Twilight Princess opened the Wii and Skyward Sword ended the Wii. And yeah. it kills me to think <laughs> that we have to wait another four or five years for yeah. the next Zelda, but I I think it's gonna have to be that way. Yeah. Well, it kind of depends on how long they've been developing this game. In theory, it could have been about a year already that they've been working on it. I've seen people say that about Breath of the Wild too. So I, you know, it could be a thing where I, I'm t- I'm given two years. Uh, you know, that's my guess. Uh, given it's in holiday twenty twenty one, that's my guess. Well, given that it's on the same engine, reusing what we can assume is a, a good amount of assets, they're absolutely using the same engine. So that was gonna have a ton of time because Breath of the Wild was a whole new engine. Yeah, but yeah. like I can, sure. I can, I can see it being sooner. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just worried it's gonna be later. Yeah, yeah, and that's a definite worry for that franchise for sure. Yeah. Um, Sorry, okay. I still have to be the first one, so it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do have like one more little point, and then I kind of want to start wrapping up our thoughts. Um, one of the things that Breath of the Wild did that none of the other Zeldas did that I think is important to talk about is the addition of voice acting. Um, actually, technically, I can't say it's the first. There were the CDI Zeldas. <laughs> if you want to count those, uh, for those uh, that aren't aware... Billy, I think we need to end the podcast and just... Uh, we need to edit that out right there. I don't know what games you're talking about. There are no such Zel- such games... Um, I think you need to change that. For those that don't know, Game, <laughs> Game Grumps really made it infamous, but like Peanut Butter Gamer is notorious for playing these two. But there was a console called the Philips CDI, and there were a series of non-Nintendo Zelda games. Like they just let this other company kind of make these games, <laughs> and they're bad. They're they're <laughs> so bad they shouldn't count, but they have the Legend of Zelda name on them. They used the sprites. They used like they look like the, the cartoon animations, um, like from the TV to be, series. Oh, to be oh, fair, man. though, they're not in the official timeline, so I don't okay, think they do. Okay, okay. But, <laughs> but regardless, it did have voice acting. Um, it did. But I, I, I digress. As far as like the main title, the ones we care about, Breath of the Wild was the first to do that, and I'm curious what your thoughts, your guys' thoughts are on. The prospects of future Zelda games, including um, voice actors, does it really change anything for you? Um, just kind of your thoughts on that. Well, for me, I wouldn't say it really changed anything, because this is my first experience as a Zelda player. Mm-hmm. I did like the voice acting. I think I would have liked more, because when there is voice acting, the cutscenes are 
pretty short for the most part, except for the memories. It's not very much. No. It's not, no. Um, I think the people that they hired to do the voice acting all did a really good job. I liked it. I thought it was really well executed. I would have loved more. Mm-hmm. I I gotta be honest. Uh, I thought the voice acting was fine. Um, there wasn't enough of it in the game for me to really want to praise it. Yeah. Like, it really is something that's like, it's voice acting in those kinds of epic adventure games is the norm now. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not, it's not one of those things where like, oh, this game's got voice acting. It's like, it's more like this game doesn't have voice acting. Like, we're kind of hitting that point now with these, like, huge games. And so, to me, it's, I don't know. Like, I don't think, I don't need it. It's not like I'm really going to criticize them for not having the next Zelda have voice acting, because I don't really care either way. Right. But uh, I think what does need to happen, though, is if they do continue to do voice acting, if this is the way they want to go, they have to give Link a voice. You think so? I, I don't think it works, because I've, I've played a lot of like more anime or uh, Japanese-style RPGs, as well as Western ones, and it's only the Japanese... Not only, I shouldn't say only, but it's mostly the Japanese and anime style that like to give a silent protagonist, and I hate it. (laughs) It is so off-putting to have your character stare blankly at everyone else (laughs) as everyone's talking full dialogue to you, and you always, always have someone talking for you. Um, Like, Destiny is a good Western example where, like, your character doesn't talk in Destiny, but that little uh, ghost robot, uh, I forget who that voice actor is, Shoot, I'm going to forget it now. I forgot it now. But anyway, like he talks for you. And everything he says is kind of like in response to what your character probably would say. But they just didn't have the guts enough to make your character speak. And I feel like if I don't want Zelda to do the same thing. Because when it's like written text, it's not a big deal. Because, you know, everyone just kind of gives little sounds. Kind of like grunts and things like that. And that's what Link does. He gives little grunts and stuff when he plays. So it kind of actually makes sense and works. Um because he does talk, he, you pick responses, and those are supposed to be what Link says. But they just don't voice them, which I feel is kind of... I don't know. They're, they're, I know they want to be like, he's a, you project yourself onto him, but I think voice acting, you kind of lose some of that mystique. I think they're going to have to pick one way or the other. Kind of all next... or nothing with it. Yeah, that's really it. I, I don't mind if they don't do voice acting for the next one. I may be the only one who thinks that, but I do. Um, but if they do, I think Link's got to have a voice. I don't. Yeah. I don't. I wouldn't like it if they did this same style again. Yeah, I think it would be super cool to see that. Because um, I remember when the Fable games uh, introduced a voice acted protagonist, um, it was a really big deal. And I remember when they made that transition, it was really really cool to see that like the character I was playing had a voice. Um, and I mm-hmm. think it would be cool to for uh, Legend of Zelda to do the same. Um, well, in like Mass Effect, Dragon Age, well, not Dragon Age One, but all the other Dragon Ages and uh, Mass Effects, they're great examples of how you can still have a player-created character and yet still feel like and still have voice acting. So I feel like they have every uh, advantage to do it. All right. Well, I think uh, we're going to go ahead and wrap up with our closing remarks. Uh, just I kind of want everyone to go through. Luke, we'll start with you. Um, just kind of give your final thoughts um, and just kind of give an overall, do you recommend uh, fans old and new of the Zelda series uh, play Breath of the Wild? So 
while it's not probably my favorite Zelda game, um, and that's honestly that's just to do with nostalgia for Ocarina of Time and kind of what it was to me growing up, I will not in any way say that Breath of the Wild is not probably the best game to start. And if you've never played a Zelda game, it's absolutely the best starting place to go. Um, you'll kind of you'll get a feel for pretty much all the other Zelda games' themes gameplay everything and if you've always you know if you've always loved zelda then there's just more of that to love in here um little like we've all been talking about stuff but really they're just nitpicks like everything about the breath of the wild is just a, it's just a great game to to do so i pretty much give it like a pretty much everyone who likes games should try it uh i really don't think there's any anything really stopping you from just really enjoying the game yeah as someone whose first zelda game was breath of the wild i completely agree that it's probably the best way to get into the series. Um, it's going to be really excited to check out some of the other titles in the series. And I'd probably even say that Breath of the Wild is my favorite video game that I've played. So I definitely recommend yeah. it to anybody who um, likes games at all. I think it's a great experience. Um, it's a great way to, I think, put your time into it. I think I have Thing up to 250 hours right now. On my <laughs> Sounds topic. about right. Yeah. yeah. So I love it. I think it's an, it's an awesome game. Anyone who's at all interested should check it out. And I think I'm gonna have to echo and agree what you guys are with what you guys are saying. Uh, Breath of the Wild is such an excellent experience, and um, there are way too many times that I'm like, man, I need to play Breath of the Wild again. Um, just like I do all the other Zelda titles. For me, it fits right in. With all the others, um, you know, it plays differently than some of the others, but it's still a great addition to the to the family of Zelda titles. So, I, I say you gotta play it. So, you gotta. <laughs> well, it's also the probably most replayable. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's when you can forge your own route. Uh, it makes things a, a lot more fun and a lot more replayable. Oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, I want to thank uh, my guests, Luke and Matt, for stopping in uh, for episode two of Games Parlay. Uh, thank you guys for hopping on and talking about um, arguably one of the best video games on the on the market right now. Of course. Happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us. So. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Games Parlay. We really hope you enjoyed it, and we'll see you here in a couple weeks for the next episode. I want to remind you... Uh, that the music was provided by Eric Skiff via SoundCloud, and you can follow my Twitter at CRYPTO279 for updates regarding the podcast and other events. Uh, We'll see you in a couple weeks.